sections of society may have had uh, misgivings as to how does this type of a program impact economy? How does it lead to employment? That conversation has been highly beneficial in terms of sensitizing an ordinary citizen across the country. It is not just uh, going to help the environment and the air quality, etc. It has an impact on people's income. Hi, I'm Kal Zhaf. And my name is Millie Begovich. Welcome to the Innovation Dividend, the podcast that explores how innovation in society and government is unleashing new solutions and approaches to stubborn development problems. In today's episode, we speak with Ms. Nahid Shah Durrani, the Federal Secretary for the Ministry of Climate Change in Pakistan. Globally, the conversation around combating climate change has often been one of trade-offs, so to keep the planet safe, we have to slow economic growth. Pakistan shows us that fighting climate change isn't just a source of economic growth. It can be done in a way that benefits the most vulnerable. We hear about Pakistan's ambitious program to plant 10 billion trees and how it's being accelerated during COVID to generate more employment in a safe way for people who might have lost their jobs. We'll also hear about how making such a large investment in climate change became politically feasible and how Pakistan's debt for nature swaps that reduce national debt in favor of improvements to the environment might work. Mr. Ren, uh, good afternoon and welcome to Innovation Dividend Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. We are thrilled to have you on on the podcast because um, some of the efforts that uh, you have been leading on behalf of the uh, government of Pakistan have been absolutely exemplary and have gathered quite a bit of um, attention globally. And we wanted to get into quite a bit more detail to understand the mechanics uh, behind them. The 10 billion tree is uh, $800 million or Pakistani rupees, 125 billion rupee investment that the government of Pakistan wants to take forward as a central major investment in, in its overall objective of uh, addressing various components of climate change. In the context of the green stimulus that has been lately announced by the government of Pakistan as a response to COVID-19, as a response to the type of economic downturn that we are facing. I think this would be very useful to hear about how the program has been tweaked and pivoted to continue achieving the objectives that were originally set, but also um, address some of the issues that have um, arose as a result of, of the pandemic. The main feature of this particular program, at the heart of it, is the massive afforestation and containing the degradation of the forest sector. But it is not just restricted to forestry. It is much larger, a rehabilitation and expansion of the country's ecosystems. And when I say ecosystems, it includes forestry, it includes biodiversity, it includes various other components of wildlife, it includes protected areas, national parks, reserves, and it also includes uh, botanical gardens, uh, you know, massive nursery plantation and has a further context in terms of type of plants and where it will be. Number one, it's a national program. It has full participation of all the provincial governments and the regions in the country. We are now gradually going to involve some other stakeholders in the implementation and as well as the oversight. It, at this point in time, the way it has been designed, it is uh, titled as a 10 billion tree tsunami. But in terms of phase one, 
the overall number of trees uh, that have to be planted in the next five years time, it is 3.2 billion. But we are looking at it as just a phase one. And hopefully in coming phases with various other interventions, we plan to gradually scale it up in the coming one decade. During the implementation, there is going to be an engagement with the communities. There's going to be involvement of youth and women in various components uh, at the grassroots level. And the number and the tentative number that was being envisaged was approximately one million jobs. When we are talking about jobs, we are basically referring to the short-term daily wage employment that is generated while we undertake various components from the nursery raising to looking after the nurseries and then putting them on the various you know, areas or regions in terms of the rangeland or forests or, or riverine or canal land or various other you know, places where these have to be planted and maintaining the forests and looking after this for ne next four to five years again requires a lot of labor availability and supervision etc but as we entered this health emergency the covid context and most of the country closed down and had a serious impact on the overall economy on the firms on people's lives and livelihoods especially jobs etc uh, we sat down in the ministry to look at how the program can, within its existing cost and context, can be slightly tweaked to be able to increase the number of daily wage. We realized that uh, the, the number can very well be increased uh, in this pro program. We realized that the number that we had included on the protected areas or for the rehabilitation of the national parks, that number could very well be increased by 20 to 30 percent. We are in the process of doing our calculations, but we think a 30 percent increase can be incorporated in the 10 billion tree program in terms of the overall uh, number of jobs or the community engagements or incomes that we were looking at it. The paper that we took to the government and which has been given a go-ahead in principle says that we actually have to now make it more people-centric. It has to have the economic component of it or the incomes component of it as a central theme while we handle the environment and the climate change holistically. Now, I think a lot of our listeners would like to understand how is the site work being tracked and managed? To what extent um, is this program being run in-house by the government? And to what extent there might be parts that are outsourced? First is that the provincial governments are under the project are responsible for provincial level of monitoring at a local level at each and every site. Second monitoring is the ministry, the sponsoring the Ministry of Climate Change through its uh, dashboard, through its digital team and through its physical monitoring teams will monitor the on-site. As I said, we already have started to receive uh, the project implementation of last two quarters. So we have the manual reports, 
our teams are going to go for physical monitoring in next, let's say, as soon as July begins, we would have these teams go out on the recruitment side of the monitoring teams. But most probably this is going to be completed and July, August, September, we see the first the first on-site physical monitoring, which is going to be captured through coordinates, through the GIS mapping, and through a certain uh, sample of physical verification, which is again going to be put in our uh, digital uh, application that would have been ready by then. And then we will do the digital monitoring, or and that mean digital monitoring means that at a section, at a particular union council, a particular forest is being regenerated or a nursery is being set up or an orchard is being set up. That particular report uh, is going to get into an Android-based application uh, through a mobile and will come to the provincial government. And even if the public within Pakistan wants to be very satisfied in terms of the numbers that we are claiming or the progress that we are reflecting, then there has to be a third party on-site monitoring and a third-party evaluation at, uh, of the entire project. Initially, we had planned that we would, the ministry is going to seek services of an international consortium or a company or firm that can undertake a holistic baseline and then continue to monitor the activities throughout the next four to five years. It seems that the existing infrastructure and institutions um, that were in place before the pandemic are pretty fundamental for you to be able to do this level of monitoring a number of different, different levels. So I'm curious to know what existed before the pandemic that allows you to, do, to, to engage in this type of uh, tracking uh, and managing. And I ask that for a number of reasons. One, to be able to understand what are the different critical policy areas that you've, you have invested in before the pandemic that are now really paying off. But also because I would imagine a program like this in times of pandemic has to be carried out, taking in mind all the precautions of using masks and operating with physical distancing in open air surroundings where people are engaging in these, in these new jobs. Our uh, overall targets uh, were ve uh, very, very highly ambitious uh, prior to the pandemic. What particular policies did we have on ground that have facilitated? Number one, last year, the planning phase of this particular program and the engagement with the implementing agencies was very intense. And throughout last June, July, the overall design, its components, uh, what will be the monitoring like, what type of systems are required, what type of manpower was required. Though primarily earlier, the forest departments in all the provinces other than KP, the KP already had, a KPK province already had a system, had manpower, had been implementing the 1 billion tree program. So they were comparatively, let's say, more prepared in terms of systems and manpower. The other provinces, especially the smaller ones, Balochistan, AJ, GB, Sindh, etc., were not that prepared. But uh, the type of discussion and uh, preparation that was done um, uh, summers, last summers, has paid off in the sense that despite the, uh, the delay in release of financing, etc., they were able to put in place some type of systems whereby they were able to get information from the field. So their preparatory work in terms of putting um, the nurseries on ground, mobilizing teams on ground, getting the daily wage uh, people on ground in last December, January was comparatively much speedier 
than in the other projects. Everything got sl slowed down in March and April. But uh, uh, what happened in April was the Ministry of Climate Change as well as the Forest Department realized that this particular activity has a certain context which can be carried forward even during the hype, uh, during the peak of pandemic. The reason being, largely this activity is in open fields. It is not in any crowded areas. It is not in a marketplace. There is there need not be any crowding. So because most of this activity is being carried on the canal sides, on the rangeland, on the hilly areas, on the mountainous side. So getting the local communities with adequate spacing, etc., with little bit of dissemination and our forest departments actually moved out and we have documents to show that they were able to guide and they were able to provide at least minimal minimal masks or some type of face covers to these people so uh, for this particular activity the 10 billion tree plantation we were able to get a clearance from the top level telling the provincial governments that while uh, other sectors, etc., have slowed down, closed down, this particular activity be allowed. The stimulus investment really could have been directed in a number of ways, uh, one of which is, for example, upgrading physical infrastructure. Why would the government choose to invest it in environment over more traditional choices? Governments came out with, let's say, dole-out packages. They came out with support activities. They came out with social safety net programs. Even government of Pakistan announced a 1.2 billion dollar or 1.2 trillion Pakistani rupee package for extending support in various ways to various sections. Coming back to why climate change and why green stimulus has been again given an emphasis. Number one we have not sought any additional income from the government as of today. What we have said is that existing finances be protected and we will try to reprogram it. As it is, secondly, there is a complete clarity as far as government is concerned, is that climate change, climate change is not a isolated sector. There's a complete clarity uh, at the prime minister's level, at the government of Pakistan's level, that when we talk about climate change, we're very, very clear. We're talking about food, food security, agriculture. We're talking about energy. We are talking about health, housing, urban development. We are talking about sanitation and water. So given the type of cross-cutting impact it has on people's lives, government has been very, very forthcoming in terms of support to the sector. So what is the opinion of the person on the street about the urgency of dealing with climate change? And is this part of the reason why an investment of this size has become politically feasible in Pakistan? At that time, there were obviously, at a certain section of society, the other political parties or maybe sections of society may have had uh, misgivings as to how does this type of a program impact economy? How does it lead to greater GDP? How does it lead to employment? But the, la uh, the four years, 2014 to 18 and 19, the work in KP has been evaluated, examined, it has been criticized, and there's been a continuous conversation. That conversation has been highly beneficial in terms of sensitizing an ordinary citizen across the country, thus that, that it has a wider, wider context. 
it is it is not just uh, going to help the environment and the air quality and the carbon sequestration etc it has an impact on people's income it has an impact on the gdp as well but having said this having said this in other provinces and other regions there's still a continuous debate in terms of balancing in terms of why how is the size of a project justified what we believe is that while we uh, in the ministry have a lot of responsibility in terms of again evolving a very genuine debate and a, a communication strategy that reaches not just the not just the educated or not just the aware middle class but reaches out to the poor in balochistan where there are issues in terms of road infrastructure availability of electricity housing etc there for us to be able to tell them that this type of a program can impact lives and livelihoods we still have to do a lot of work on ground now another question that looks at some of uh, the more entrenched interests that exist in this area pakistan has lost a great deal of trees to illegal logging and this is not necessarily unique only to pakistan but in for many countries in the world how do you ensure that the trees that you're currently planting don't suffer the same fate yes on uh, the last three decades a massive deforestation has happened and it has happened uh, on the same pattern as other parts of the world dedicated interest groups communities weak regulation weak oversight inability of the government to be able to be present across each and every region again a very complex set of uh, regulations that is required conserving forestry conserving trees has been an agenda a lot of work on that area on the afforestation on the maintenance and protecting communities and uh, a definite a, a definitive interest to not you know ruin or impact on the afforestation seriously what happened in kp and this is where our learning is coming from that uh, they made uh, the existing rules enforcement more vigilant communities were also included in the vigilante and there were there was a very strong confrontation that happened of the implementing agencies with the timber related businesses and it is uh, enforcement can only be successful if government is able to evolve alternate strategies that are commercially viable that are enforceable that are sustainable so one thing on which i think they, as i said there are three or four levels first is the local communities the local communities that depend on firewood local communities whose livestock is dependent on grazing in the rangelands etc now giving them alternatives continues to be a huge challenge but there are two or three very 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 targeted initiatives that are under planning stage one of them is to help the poor help the remotely located communities help them with alternate solutions to firewood and for that we are working on a program whereby energy efficient stoves these are local stoves uh, which use uh, which uh, run on biogas etc or which run on uh, alternate methods of fuel those have to be made uh, available easily available across various communities that are dependent on firewood unless we are not able to do this in a very effective sustainable and acceptable manner we have to do a lot of work on that side as far as the organized timber 
market or the timber firms and industry is concerned, there has been very strict oversight as far as KP is concerned. We still have to work with the other, the federal government has got into this mega plan or mega project because of the overarching country's requirements on the climate change, on our commitments relating to lowering the temperatures, reducing the air pollution, and overall reducing the type of risks, the vulnerabilities that the country is faced with. In terms of the regulatory work, in terms of the alternate that we have uh, that would involve a whole set of regulatory framework on the forestry, on the on the timber industry and market. I, I believe I, I still have to get engaged with my team. We have to get in, uh, engaged with the provincial governments to see that the existing laws or the type of work that has been done in KP in terms of improving the enforcement how can it be then taken to other parts of the country? That's very also humble of you to say, given the impressive nature of the program. In researching the 10 billion trees program, I learned that the third phase would be focused on structuring debt for nature swaps that are based on the ongoing activity, as well as Pakistan's renegotiations of the, of the debt with countries that support the green revival of the global economy. I'm interested to know how would a green swap work? How much would the government have to invest to swap one dollar of debt for uh, greenification of its economy? We have looked at our country's debt. It is massive at this point in time. It has almost risen to more than 90% of our GDP. As it crosses 100% of GDP, we understand uh, our country is going to fall into a massive fiscal stress. It is that debt context plus the commitment of the global leaders on the climate, that we are preparing a soft strategy paper to see what is the possibility that where government of Pakistan has made a $800 million public sector investment, what part of it can come to the government's assistance, if not for a blanket waiver, a dedicated waiver on uh, you know, uh, what we are calling uh, debt for nature. What we are saying is that part of your outstanding debt towards Pakistan can be exchanged for this particular component of the climate change action. And we are actually, the program that we are putting on the forefront is the 10 billion tree, various components of it. So it has the afforestation, it has ecological uh, conservation, it has biodiversity, it has wildlife components, it has regional components, it has national components, it has sector, subsectoral components. So uh, let's say bilateral debt portfolio at this point in time is approximately $11 billion. So of that $11 billion, some of the countries that have earlier undertaken debt for nature swap, you know, some of the European countries, some of the North European countries have, we've already, in fact, Pakistan already has a small experience where post 9-11, uh, a part of Pakistan's debt, uh, bilateral debt was swapped for development. Looking at the earlier experience of various countries whereby small components of their investments were acknowledged and debt for nature has happened, it will require a lot of number one technical preparedness on our side. It will then require engagement with the possible, you know, regional partners in Europe or or even Far East, etc., maybe Korea, maybe Japan, maybe, you know, Australia, for us to be able to showcase our program 
its benefits, local benefits, national benefits, climate benefits, global benefits, for them to be able to see the technical data examined. It's something that we are very hopeful about, but we are still in the process of doing our technical work and then we'll get into a proper uh, negotiation or advocacy for this particular uh, debt for nature swap. It's a really fascinating example, and I would imagine one that other countries would want to um, look out for, because essentially it shows how investment in greening the economy can set the government up to think about very different types of financial mechanisms. Could you tell us uh, a little bit more about Prime Minister's five-point green agenda, and maybe your opinion about the fact of whether stimulus plans are accelerating or slowing other parts um, of that agenda? So of the five-point uh, uh, agenda, uh, about the 10 billion tree, which is right at the heart of it, the biggest people-centric action that we ha- already have on ground. The second is the ministry remained engaged on the There's a month robust work that we, we were able to develop a policy. The policy was taken to the cabinet and it has gone to the Economic Coordination Committee and it has now been referred to an interministerial committee to look at the type of incentives that the minister had recommended to see how electric vehicles and all types of electric vehicles, the two, three wheelers, the four wheelers, the trucks and buses, the public uh, transport, etc., can be gradually introduced. Uh, the prime minister had already approved the broad targets for the next 10 years, envisaging that at least 50% of the vehicular traffic transport in Pakistan is going to convert into a disruptive technology, that is the electric vehicles. But we understand in countries like ours, where there is a robust auto industry, where there's a conventional technology that is already in the country, there is likely to be you know, a, a disruption, there is going to be resistance, it's going to be a huge debate. And we've taken that debate forward. We've, been, we've engaged with multiple stakeholders we are now able to convince other ministries, the commerce, the industries, and other stakeholders in terms of how beneficial it can be to the country. It can be beneficial uh, in terms of its impact on climate. There is a huge you know, uh, responsibility on the government to be able to you know, provide solutions. And during the current pandemic, it was very well acknowledged by the civil society, by academia, that the, the lockdowns have led to visible improvement in the air quality, especially in the big urban centers like Lahore and Rawalpindi and Karachi, etc. So there is an acknowledgement that the government of Pakistan having multiple vulnerabilities as far as fossil fuel is concerned will have to evolve different technologies. The work that we have been able to do on the electric vehicles is is at a very advanced stage. We're talking about an introduction of uh, this technology in a manner that it provides local manufacturing, that it provides more incomes and more employment to the country. We are not talking in terms of import of electric vehicles. We are talking in terms of incentivizing local manufacturing. The third one on this was the clean and green index. Clean and green index is a very wide, it's a very broad uh, area. It basically is in the context of uh, number one, sanitation. And secondly, the work that the ministry has done under the prime minister's agenda is that 19 cities 19 cities were selected. Uh, the ministry has remained engaged and developed 
30, 30 basic indicators for evaluating those city governments, cities' performances on various components in the context of greening. The greening part is already being attended to in that under the 10 billion and some other interventions, a local government function in terms of uh, solid waste management, in terms of sanitation, in terms of clean water. Banning of plastics has been, uh, has been a big agenda with the provincial governments and the local governments in the last two decades or so. Those indicators are now being put in a digital application whereby we'll be able to compare some performances of cities and then we would see in terms of how how are those being acknowledged that will be put on a national platform for the general public and citizens to see and to trigger a debate in terms of improving on the performances. But unfortunately, in terms of the policy frameworks, the level of um, investments and the most significant weakness has been systems. Our institutional capacities for handling the water sanitation component, the local government component has remained weak and need to acknowledge it. We are able to develop a dashboard in terms of looking at the data and trying to reach out and assist those cities and those municipalities and those provincial governments that are able to show some type of performance. What is the possibility in terms of changing water use across Pakistan? We have very water intensive cropping patterns in the country in terms of the way we use uh, water in irrigation, the way we use it for agriculture, in terms of some of the major constraints that a country like ours has is that we continue with conventional practices of flood irrigation. We have a massive wastage of water in various parts of the country. So there's a Big technical work that needs to be done, has been done before, but in terms of further intensifying the dialogue around it and bringing out some projects, this is what we plan to do under the Recharge Pakistan. Uh, legislation was done as far as the capital city is concerned. In order to carry it forward in a sustainable manner, not only in the capital city, but across Pakistan, uh, a lot of work requires to be done in the provincial government's level. Since the pandemic hit, uh, what are some of the unprecedented things that you have been seeing in the government and how has this changed the range of things that you think the government can do? First of all, we were taken aback. We were taken aback despite the fact that uh, this time a lot, were, lot of information was flowing in from left, right and center. We were able to see how other countries are handling with it and we were able to get, engage with the world community on how this entire world has been hit and how this may not be the same world that we were living in earlier. And how is it that this adversity can be converted into some type of opportunity for the country, for the region? And how is it that an uncomparatively a much unequal world can improve in terms of its indices on becoming more equitable? So while that's a big dialogue and it's a big conversation, but there's small small things that I am observing 
what it has done is brought up our collective dependence on one another as far as environment and climate change is concerned. So there's a lot of thinking that has been triggered. There's a lot of creativity that is going to, that we have been pushed into it actually. And we've been forced into thinking that we may have to re-prioritize uh, climate change. So there's some of the transformational things that are happening around it. Ms. Duran, thank you so much. You have been very generous with your time. Thank you for uh, speaking to us at the Innovation Dividend Podcast, and we will continue following very closely your efforts and leadership under both the 10 Billion Trees program, but also the rest of the five-point agenda of the Prime Minister. Thank you, Millie. Thank you very much. That was Ms. Nahid Shah Durrani, the Federal Secretary for the Ministry of Climate Change in Pakistan.